Welcome back, everybody. Brian Tuck here, your host for Creator Confidential, a podcast about what? We're not really sure. No, actually, we're sure. Uh, what this podcast is about is is art. It's about film, books, music, uh, visual art, among other things. It's about business, the commercial aspects of those things, and a little bit or a lot, depending on on the episode, uh, about the law, how the law intersects with commerce and art. So that is what this podcast is about. I'm really glad you're with us. And I hope that if you like what you hear, you're telling your friends, you're forwarding these episodes on. Uh, This show is on SoundCloud. It is on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, And it is also on Spotify, so we're easy to find, and you can very easily forward those those episodes to friends who you might uh, think might be interested. Today, I have one of my today. I'm joined again by David Below. We talk about the Mandalorian episode two with a quick breakdown of some of the elements of that that you may have missed if you only watched it once. Uh, These, this show definitely merits uh, multiple views. And each time you, you go back to these, you see different things, you, you notice different things. And that's part of um, what great storytelling is about. If. So before we bring David on, I wanted to remind you that you can also join a Facebook group that relates to the podcast. It's called Creator Confidential. No mystery. C-R-E-8, number eight. R, Confidential. Uh, Just go on Facebook, type that in the search engine, and you will find us. There's a page for the podcast, but there's also a Facebook group. And why the Facebook group is cool is that there's a ton of other material that's on there that's related to this general subject matter, but that does not make it into the episodes. So, without any delay, Mandalorian Recap, Episode 2. Here we go. You're listening to Creator Confidential with attorney, author, and musician, Brian Tuck. Brian's legal practice is focused on arts and entertainment law, startups, nonprofits, and faith-based organizations. To learn more, visit TuckLaw.com on the web. Creator Confidential starts now. Have fun. Welcome back, David. We're talking Mandalorian Episode 2. Initial impressions, what did you think? I thought it was really fun, and I thought the visuals were fantastic, Um, especially the... uh, the, the big Jawa stuff that I think for anyone who's a Star Wars fan and was intrigued by the Jawas, especially that awesome sand crawler that um, there was a good toy for back in our day. Uh, this was like heaven. It was a, it was, it was really fun and it got to utilize that thing in a way that you got to see all the bells and whistles of it. And like we talked in the first podcast all of those Western tropes come back in with essentially a great stagecoach chase scene, but with a Jawa sand crawler. <laughs> in, a, in a way, yeah. I, that's the most 
that we've seen that vehicle or, or, or those characters really since episode four. I mean, they make appearances here and there yeah. in the other films, but not, not like this. No, and it was, not like this it, at all. Super it was fun. interesting that, um, you know, there had to be a go between, uh, the Khalil character voiced by Nick Nolte between the Mandalorian and the Jawas. Otherwise, you know, the Mandalorian was just going to vaporize everybody, which seems yeah. to be his default negotiating uh, tactic. Which is very interesting because, which I think is, that was making me think of how fun this arc of the Mandalorian is going to be between what we talked about before with his, how bad of a guy is he? How good of a guy is he? Because he just flat out, vaporize these guys it wasn't even a warning shot to say hey give me my stuff back it was yeah he just started shooting (laughs) yep yeah i mean so the juxtaposition of taking care of uh baby yoda i don't know what else to call that that creature uh that character (laughs) you know the, the juxtaposition of of taking care of the asset is what they call it in the show yeah. Versus shooting all these guys, it, it, seemingly in the same breath, almost in the same scene, um, is really. I'm interested to see how they'll resolve that if they ever do, and maybe, maybe they don't. Maybe that's the tension um, that makes the whole show go. I th- I think it is. You know, like yeah. in some other shows, you might have you know romantic tension between lead characters that never gets resolved, and that's what keeps everybody watching like that's Mm -hmm. that sort of is the engine of the character development and all of that so um here you've just got two sides of the same guy one very violent one uh one not one very protective of you know children and orphans and and things like that so to your point about um the character arc and what they're going to do with that that hot and cold balance i think is really going to be fascinating to see how they intensify both that goodness and the badness and also will we later learn does he have some kind of real serious beef with those jawas because he just flat out took them out you know without hesitation like you said with essentially an infant in the uh, bonnet next to him you know (laughs) so i think that's just the way he is you know he you know going back to episode one once it became clear he was going to have to fight those three guys, he did not hesitate. He just charged forward and and took care of business, which was awesome. Yeah. I think one of the cool things that they've done across the board in this show is they don't, you know, John Favreau isn't overdoing it. Like there's, there are, are episodes of, you know, action or gunfighting or fist fights or what have you. They're all very short and they're not yeah. overdone. They're they're they begin quickly, they you know, they begin abruptly and they end abruptly. It's not like um I'm trying to you know, trying to think of another example where uh like I don't know, like take a look at the Lethal Weapon movies where all of the fight scenes get way dragged out. Yeah. Just get ridiculous. Yeah. Um when I think this has a much grittier, much more realistic tempo. 
Yeah, they play it out in real time. Like, this is what would happen if this was going down like this. And I do appreciate that as well, especially, say, when he went to the cave to get the egg, you know, from that beast that I think wasn't one of those beasts in um, Attack of the Clones towards the end when they tie him up. Yeah, I was in the in the arena. I know I was wondering about that. Um, Maybe I I think that's the same. And I think that's another one of those little thread touches they do, because that was the beast that ran over Django in the big battle scene at the in Attack of the Clones that, you know, where Mm -hmm. Django was dealing with that horned bull thing while Mace Windu was, you know, trying to take out Django, which, by the way, sidebar was, you know, for all the there's a lot of prequel hate, but that was one of the coolest sequences, especially for Mace Windu in that thing. Uh, If we ever wanted to nerd out about that sometime, but like just the way he took out the way he and Django faced off and he took him out. I, th- that's one of those ones I still go back to because he just ran flat at him and you're like, that's Samuel Jackson coming at me with a lightsaber. And it just yeah, came off was, so well. <laughs> he was great in the prequels, no doubt. Like yeah. every scene he was in, it's Samuel L. Jackson. How can you yeah. not, how, how can you not like that? Um, so one of the things that we didn't really hit the first in the last episode that mm-hmm. really has been a lot different than anything else we have seen or heard so far is the soundtrack and the musical um, character of of the show. Yeah. There's a, a lot of electronics. It's very subdued. You know, the theme song, The it's not even a song, but the music playing when, when the title uh, sequence runs is very understated. It's very rhythmic. And it's all electronic. There's not, you don't have these big, you know, again, this big John Williams kind of huge orchestral sound, although there are moments when they do that. Yeah. But there was once when he's, um, when he's chasing the Java sand crawl and he's trying to get on, onto the, uh, onto the vehicle, mm-hmm. there's this, uh, there's like a five, eight groove. It's all in odd time signatures there's this metallic 5-8 groove that is going on underneath that. And then when he gets on the vehicle, it switches to 7 and continues on. And I, I kept hearing that going, man, that really is awesome. Oh, wow. Heck? And I had to rewind it a few times to count it out. And I'm like, man, that's – I don't – and this is a minor point. Only Maybe only musicians care about this stuff. But I was like, okay, we got some odd time signatures in uh, in this thing. I'm I'm, I'm good. You know, I, I like it. My... <laughs> that you know, it's funny. I I, I got to go back and watch that because I remember watching that sequence. And it's not when yeah, we watch when I watched it again with my kids last night. I'm like, hey, I'm going to watch this because I'm doing another podcast with Brian. And they were like, okay. And I was and I remember thinking, God, I got to go back and study this music. But I knew there was something that was making me become more intrigued with the music during that scene. And that's so great that you picked that out. Well, and, um, the, and the and this is how great the whoever um, I got to look it up. I'm not sure who the composer is, but whoever that was made a great decision because the pulse on the five and seven grooves is being struck on something metallic that sounds like almost like tank ish, like yeah. armor, you know, like somebody's banging on you know, on the side of a tank or something like that. So yep, which it, totally it works. Is, 
it's so yeah it's so integral to the visuals that you almost don't even realize it's happening but yeah go if you right when he starts to pursue the vehicle you'll 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 uh you'll pick it up yeah i love that stuff and that and in the fact that it's in odd time as people know it's you know odd time is usually done to create an angular sense or a sense of um off-putting you know the same way that in design a diagonal line connotates um a non-balance it's like is it going to fall over is it kind of standing up so odd times are kind of diagonal music so it makes complete sense that when he's trying to chase this sand crawler and he's got to deal with all of this cacophony and chaos going on around him from the sound to the thundering thing rolling along to all the stuff they were throwing at him and his armor banging against the side having an odd time in the music totally works because it comes off as clunky to the brain cerebrally, you know, to the person listening. Yep. But that's so cool that you notice that they changed it. Would you say that when they changed it from five to seven, that it felt like things were getting more in control Yes. or yes. was that when the moment was yeah. when he was losing more control? Like does the seven become more chaotic or smoother? No, it's, it was, the seven happens when he's almost to the top of, it seems like he's going to get oh, on that's, top. See, that's pretty genius because it's like he's one beat away from being in four, four or eight time. It's, Oh, that's yep. so, Oh, that's yeah, so yeah. sneaky. Good. I love stuff like that. For those of you who have no <laughs> idea what the hell we're talking about. Most music is in four, four. There's four beats to a measure and you can like tap your foot to it. So imagine for a second, um, that, you know, a day, a, yeah, or 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 to to analogize it, like a day is twenty four hours. Everybody's used to twenty four hours, right? If the day became twenty one hours long, it would feel a little bit odd because it would be a little bit shorter, and it and you wouldn't really be able to tell why things feel off the next day because everything shifted forward. That's sort of like what odd time signature is. You take you take four beats and then you turn it into three and a half beats or three and three quarter beats. But anyway, that's a, that's a rabbit hole for another, for another time. <laughs> no, that was a great analogy. I liked it. Most people don't even know that, uh, uh, Salisbury Hill is in an odd time because yeah. Peter Gabriel's the man and he does such a good job of having that one element to smooth it over or like, uh, okay. Super nerd, uh, Vinny's, uh, bell of his ride symbol on, um, 10 summoners tales on that one song where he just keeps it going on the, on the, on the quarter note pulse. But then when it changes every other measure, it's on the offbeat, but that's the one consistent thing that the ear can latch onto anyway. Well, okay. <laughs> we'll do a music theory discussion <laughs> later at some point. Um, I feel like that doctor on the Simpsons. Okay. And that's the thing. <laughs> so, um, now the the big thing, well, the really big thing about what happened in this episode, obviously, is there's a moment in the middle of the episode where uh, Mando gets injured. He's stitching up a, a laceration on his arm, and Baby Yoda all of a sudden is walking around like somehow can get himself out of this floating uh, stroller egg thing, and. Mm -hmm. 
attempts to put, uh, baby Yoda attempt, reaches out with one of his hands and attempts to put his hand on the wound. Mandalorian picks him up, sticks mm-hmm. him back in the thing. And there's a kind of a funny rhythm about, you know, if anyone's had a toddler um, that wants to get out of the, you know, wants to get out of the playpen or the crib and you constantly have to pick them up and put them back in it because they won't stay put. This is kind of what's happening in the, in the show at that point. And it seemed like they were trying to tell us something about baby Yoda. And at the end of the, at the very end, and again, this is, you know, part of their storytelling. They, they keep you on, you know, going in one direction for the whole episode. And then at the last minute, there's a left turn that you don't expect. And the left turn in this episode is uh, Mandalorian's about to get um, demolished by this huge creature that he's trying to fight to deal with. And all of a sudden we, we learn, we discover that the baby Yoda is not only force sensitive, but has seemingly mastered um, some of the powers. And all of a sudden the creature begins to stop at its place and then levitate and it's a massive thing. It would be like bigger than an elephant or a rhinoceros in the real world. Um, and all of a sudden, um, now his importance is starting to become a bit more obvious as to why uh, why the client in the, in the first episode is so keen to capture him alive, to probably to harness his powers or to figure out um, what's going on with him. Which begs a good question that maybe we will learn, which is, is this species that Yoda is part of, are they naturally inherently force sensitive? And I think there are some of those novelizations that came through and, you know, since the nineties and on, I think there are some books about Yoda or they mention that, but I'm sure we could look it up, but I have a sense that they are pretty force sensitive, which, or is this one maybe like, you know, who knows, like an Anakin, which is for a 50 year old baby Yoda, uh, it being that powerful at that age. I wonder if that's an anomaly for that species and that that's why it's so important. It's like, well, wait, if this thing can do this at 50, imagine what it's going to do when it's adolescent or in, you know, or in its twenties per se. Yeah. I, I, uh, all good questions. Perhaps as Mando Maybe this baby Yoda becomes uh, something he takes care of. Maybe it'll be interesting to see what they do if maybe the powers that this baby Yoda has and the obvious or the seemingly obvious bond that the baby Yoda is starting to have to Mando, maybe that gets leveraged. And, you know, by the time we're getting into the final two episodes in a finale, we might see some serious force go down in terms of, you know, Mando badassery <laughs> with a uh, baby Yoda that yeah. that really wants to protect well, maybe. him. Maybe, and this is know? and this is a departure because in the two standalone films in Rogue One, there are no Jedi's. There, no, there's none of that aspect of the story in Rogue One, and and Solo, same deal. There's there are no Jedi's. There's no lightsabers. There's no Force usage. Uh, it's almost not even referred to in solo it's it's strictly a bank yeah. heist or a train robbery movie um by another name mm-hmm. so i don't know and i i think it's interesting that at the very end when 
uh, Mando and Khalil are walking as uh, two subtle things happen at the, at the, at the tail end of the episode, like the last 30 seconds. So we see baby Yoda, uh, levitate this creature. Then after that, two things happen that are so smoothly done. They didn't, I didn't even realize it, uh, first couple times I saw it. One, the distance between where Khalil's compound is and where the asset is, is impassable on foot. Remember how he said that in the first episode? Yeah. And they have to ride those yeah. glurbs or the glarbs. Well, here the Mandalorian covers that distance on foot because he arrives back at Khalil's compound with no assistance. So he had to, he had to have walked it. Well, oh, wait, wait. This might be different, though, because the, the distance that they couldn't traverse on foot is when they had to go to that um, outpost where he rescued the baby Yoda. Oh, you're right. right? So maybe right. it's a different I might be out of, I might be off, region. off base on that one. Um, but mm-hmm. the second thing is, uh, and this I'm sure of, is when those two characters are talking at the very end and Khalil says, I still don't understand what happened. And Mando replies, neither do I. So neither of these uh neither of these characters have ever run into a Jedi or a Sith or anything like that and have never been exposed to any of this force stuff. So either and it's not that late after Return of the Jedi, we're only five years after the conclusion of of that film. So the Jedi must really have been pretty scarce. And probably were more powerful as mythical uh, figures than than in their yeah. actual you know day to day operations. You know what I mean? Well, yeah, and I I also think though, like exactly like what you said when when they said that part of me I didn't immediately think that they aren't familiar with the Force. That maybe it might have been that kind of sparse writing where they say, I don't, I don't know what happened either. Uh, but you would think that if a guy is traveling the galaxy, making his way, you know, knowing that the empire came down because of this famous Luke Skywalker that even Ray had heard of on her little plan, you know, the legends get out there via the pilots and the people that go to the spaceports and stuff like that, that they, that they, you know, and Cleto, um, you know, he's heard of Mandalorians too. That's why he was so intrigued to help Mando with getting that outpost taken care of so that he could have peace in his valley, as he was saying. And then, so maybe it's a, you know, I don't understand what happened. You know, how did that little thing do that? I mean, you would think that Mando would know about the force, but maybe they, they were just leaving it open in terms of, I don't know why it helped me. I don't know. I don't know. It's, that's a really interesting one. It's like, did they do that purposely to, to just, you know, go with the flow of it or did they want it to make us question it? You know, how would he not know about Jedi's and the force? Uh, Well, I don't know, but it's it's open to interpretation, which I guess is part of good storytelling. Right. And like, yeah. And like you were mentioning in the first one, the, the thing we really like about how they're doing this show is the patience that they're taking. They're not hand-holding us and giving us everything we want. And they can spread out our awareness of Mando's origin story and what his ignorance may or may not be. 
Well, we will see. We got another episode coming up next week. Or this, oh, geez, what day is this? This is what happens. Uh, my when day. You, what day I is this? I don't know. We had the band <laughs> rehearsed yesterday and I was teaching and it, it, it throws the whole calendar. It throws the whole calendar off. Oh, um, yeah. Okay, so Friday of this week, well, we, four days from now, um, episode three will come out on Disney+. Plus. Dave and I are going to break, uh, break this down again and uh, we'll have a new episode of this show up probably next monday i suspect if not earlier we'll see i'll have to see how quickly we can do one of these i don't know trying to get my production chops in uh, in order here oh you've got chops buddy okay so before we go i i have to get better i just you know we've i think this is episode 62 of this podcast and yet i am still learning how to do this activity so (laughs) you can connect with us the show has a Facebook group, which is public, Creator Confidential. Just plug it into the search engine on Facebook and you'll find it. Just ask to join and uh, I will add you. Also, the show is on Twitter and new starting this week. The show will be on Instagram. We're staying away from YouTube right now. I just I really like going audio only. And the minute you start adding uh, visuals to things it's just it it overly complicates things and takes away from the charm of the of the format here so so you can check the show out on in the Facebook group in on Instagram or on Twitter so please do that and tell a friend share the episode if you like um, and and we're gonna we're just gonna keep doing these and, and a lot of episodes are gonna come down the pike at you so so before we break what was the one thing that you saw in episode two that for whatever reason was your favorite moment or something that just really, really grabbed you? What was it? I really liked the sand crawler Jawa chase scene. But one of the things that really grabbed me that I thought was just the coolest was when they would give you that big wide shot of the front of the sand crawler. The, the, the front main door ramp would, was lowered down and you were looking up and it was this kind of far shot and you could see a couple of Jawas and Mando just standing there. And it gave you this, it was just cool. You were like, oh, that's what it looks like inside of one of those things. Because we, we've always seen cool interiors, but then also, and also when they were driving it, and you got to see them standing at the little controls and Mando was crouched in there and that beautiful touch of when they hit a bump <clears throat> and his head hit the roof, like those little touches of like, yeah, this stuff happens in real life to anybody in any galaxy ever. That, that uh, yeah, stuff for his, really, <laughs> I loved. For as cool, yeah, for as cool of a character as he is, he's being inconvenienced and you can tell he's pissed that he's yeah. got to, <laughs> he has to bargain with these creatures and ride along in this little, uh, little, uh, well, not little, but it's a big vehicle. But for human people, it's it's little. So, uh, my favorite moment of episode two, there's a, there is a sequence of landscapes, and it looks like they ripped this off right out of a John Ford or, or Clint Eastwood movie, where you have this massive uh, horizon of just you know, again, it looks like it came out of a cowboy movie of, of, 
And I think it's earlier or it's sort of in the middle of the episode. And you wonder if this was on the big screen, how how massive uh, it w- it would have really seemed uh, to be able to see it on the big screen. So I just yeah. think they're knocking it out of the park with with borrowing from ex- established yeah. storytelling traditions, but not but doing it in in a very slick and a very um, a very clever way. So and and it's so and it's so tasteful and it's such from a time honored cl- uh, playbook. That like, yeah, you're totally right, because there was one of them where he just comes up over the ridge and there's like that, excuse me, purple pink sunset behind him. Mm -hmm. And just, you know, seven seconds of a good vista can totally put your brain where it needs to be to understand where a character's head might be at, considering the circumstances and the obstacles that they're trying to deal with. So, yeah, that would you're totally right. It was just gorgeous. And and, one of the, and and I'm gonna I'm gonna forget this unless I say it. So the other thing, and I think we hinted at this before, the editing, the pace of the editing in these is phenomenal. From my, from me as a, a Generation X person, you're not getting these jump cuts where every shot is two seconds or three seconds yeah. or less. And it's jumping around. The pace of this feels very natural to my eye. Growing, having grown up, you know, I guess I mean we're in our mid forties, and I think John Favreau is too. Uh, there's probably no coincidence yep. that that is how this is being presented. But I find that really awesome because sometimes you try to watch newer stuff, and and it's just it's too fast. It's just too it's, fast. It's, it's it is you know too I mean? fast, and and sometimes. <clears throat> I mean, a lot of people thought Star Wars start thought New Hope was too fast, and technically it was for movie audiences back then, especially the Death Star trench scene. And but I tell you, man, I used to work in advertising, and I spent eight years on an Avid system editing scratch videos and commercials for Ford and stuff. There is stuff that is just too fast, and some people say, "Oh, you're just too old, man." You know, kids play video games, and they're used to the fast motion mm-hmm. and the jump cuts i mean just watch any 11 year old play Fortnite. yeah and I know. you 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 need some benefit you need a you know uh, something for uh, vertigo but too fast is too fast the, the 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 brain wants the simplest solution and usually if filmmakers just give that extra beat and a quarter or a beat and a half to a scene it makes all the difference in the world and you can the proof's in the pudding because i haven't met one i haven't seen one person online that is not loving the heck out of the Mandalorian. My kids get it. Yeah. Adults get it. Yep. It just it works. They know how to make visuals and pacing work so that the brain gets the messages um consciously and also kind of subliminally that work. This you know, Favreau and he knows what he's doing, you know. And we've known that for what, fifteen years now since Iron Man and Swingers bit. and all that stuff. A little so. bit. All right, everybody. Yeah. Well, thanks for listening. Go go join the Facebook group because there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of content that aren't in the episodes uh, that that appears in the Facebook group. It's creator confidential. It's not nothing sneaky there. Just plug it into the search engine on Facebook, and you'll find us. And Dave and I will be back next week when we break down episode three. So thanks, absolutely. Y'all. Looking forward to it. All right. Take care, guys. Thanks for listening to Creator Confidential. To get future episodes, 
subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or follow the show on SoundCloud. For updates about future podcast episodes, essays, or live events, just text the word CREATOR to 66866. That's CREATOR to 66866. You can also visit us on the web, Twitter, or Facebook. Creator Confidential is a production of Force 10 Media and the Tuck Law Offices.